Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Modern Aged Middle Life, a podcast brought to you by Emily Baum and Graham Jarvis, comedy writers addressing modern day confusions for the middle aged. Hello. Hello there. How are you, Emily? Hello. <laughs> Hello. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm good. It's a job interview. Uh, <laughs> We're very formal. I thought I'd put a shirt and tie on, you know, because it's such a big event in my life, recording this podcast with you. And equally, I've put a floral dress on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think putting the floral dress and the hat, you're limited as to the sort of job you might get. I could be a flower girl for hire at somebody's <laughs> wedding. Yeah. What if you're having a wedding and you've got no friends and just to make up numbers, you hire some random woman who owns a floral dress. Five pound an hour just to stand there and throw petals randomly. A wedding with no friends. I remember mine. Yeah. It's like yesterday. I don't remember it. I didn't go. I said to the registrar, who's that woman? She said, do you want me to ask? I said, oh, Jill, doing anything today or the rest of your life? <laughs> nice of you to come. <laughs> do you think people do pay people to turn up for weddings? Oh, I think so. I think all the time, probably in Las Vegas, people just do it yeah. on the spur of the moment. Yeah, but if you think you're going to have a thinning throng at your wedding <laughs> and you just want to bulk it out. Are we going into <laughs> beachwear again? <laughs> Knitted beachwear, a thinning throng. <laughs> well, it's a polite way of saying you've got no friends. But if you've got your audience levels for a big event like a wedding or a christening, because you've got an ugly child, it might be thinner. Yeah than what you would like. Okay. Do you rent people? Is there a renter crowd? Is there a, someone who fakes that they've known you since school? I think if you don't like a lot of people around you and have no friends, you probably look at a wedding as the perfect time to continue that habit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll take your word for it. I knew someone who said he couldn't stand the thought of a big wedding. And when he got married, he did not want any fuss. He found someone, he was going to get married. And we all thought, I wonder if any of us are going to be invited. It was a very small do, 10 people. He just did not want a lot of people there. I think we were only invited because his wife-to-be had got to like us and thought, you can't mm. not invite anyone. That and you did offer to do the catering. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of catering. Half a sandwich. <laughs> well, opening a bag of Watsits. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think there is a whole underground jobs market? Because let's be honest, we've all had great jobs, we've all had terrible jobs, and everyone's got stories about first jobs. But do you think there are jobs out there that you wouldn't really think about? So I was reading this morning on the BBC website, a uh, little, mm. little hint there that I'm highbrow, Oh. Yes. And there is a 3,000 tonne blockage in a main sewer in the Midlands that has basically congealed fat and nappies and face wipes. And it is some poor person's job or a team of four people to actually open the pipe and remove said thing. It's the equivalent apparently to about 250 cars weight of fat and gunk. And someone has to go in there with a very large plunger, I would imagine, and try and remove it. Yeah. And I was just thinking, who wants that job? I know some people who probably would want that job. They'd go down there, get a high-pressure spray on it, which wouldn't touch the fatberg, but it would splash back and go onto one of their faces and go, oh, I didn't put my mask or my helmet on. Oh, it's gone all over. I swallowed some of that. And they'd all laugh and go, I love this job. This is the best job 
ever. I like the fact that they've named it a fatberg. I really like that. (laughs) (laughs) The combinations of those two words is just genius, isn't it? But also, you're imagining the fact that Gary has had the pressure washer for the day and not thought it through, and he's done it with his mouth open. I mean... (laughs) I think Gary might have actually opened his mouth on purpose trying to catch some. (laughs) Like it's a new game and his mates are going, oh, let's do that again and see if we can catch something. Like throwing a peanut up and catching it in your mouth. But then when Gary's thinking of changing roles, does he put the Fatberg incident on his CV? Does he go to the next company, the next Dynarod job and say, well, actually, you know, I've got extensive experience in shifting 3,000 tonnes worth of all sorts of nastiness. Transferable skills you're touching on here, I guess, aren't you? You could argue. He's got good standing to become a prison officer. <laughs> a GPS driver, you know, a G4, whatever they've got new names for. G something. I, I'm G Rayum. There's a special bus service that takes you out. <laughs> that is a job that most people would not want. A fat burger. Is that, is that what you would call them? So, what other jobs are out there? Depends whether a job is good or a job is bad on your outlook in life. Mm. If you say, I want to be a violinist, as my son said the other day, and said, are they well paid? I said, they're not really. So he lost interest and thought, oh, perhaps I'll be a spaceman after all. Yeah. (laughs) Whereas you could be a fat burglar and be on 100,000 a year. I don't know how much the fat burger removal men cost. No. I've never had a reason to find out. There's that old saying, isn't it, where there's muck, there's brass, which is anyone that's working in the sewage industry. Where there's muck, there's money, was the <laughs> phrase that I was taught when I was little. Brass <laughs> is from Yorkshire. I'm from Grimsby. Yeah, if anyone's got a recycling plant or a a removals company of rubbish and stuff, they all seem to do all right, don't they? There's money in there. You don't need to recycle plants. They're nature's good (laughs) ones. My dad had the most pathetic cheese plant, which is one of those plants that grows and grows and grows. And when Jill and I would visit, she'd just shake her head sadly as there was about 20 yards of just this brown stem, and at the very tip of it was a leaf. What is a cheese plant? <laughs> a cheese plant Because is... I'm assuming it's not got triangles of brie dangling from the foliage. <laughs> no, nothing to do with that. It's just uh, one of those indoor plants that was fashionable once upon a time, and probably some people still have them. Unless you look after them, leaves drop off, and it's always trying, trying to get another leaf out of the tip, which is what happened in my dad's case. Do you think if you did actually get a plant that genuinely grew cheese... Like, you know, hunks of cheddar, a couple of mini baby bells. I think people would pay attention, don't you? I think they would. Can we genetically modify plants to grow baby bells? Well, the leaves do have veins already, so blue cheese. Yeah. Jill and I once tried to grow cucumbers, which seemed to be very successful, and melons, which seemed to be very successful. Cannabis. We didn't try that, officer. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, melons and cucumbers can cross-pollinate. Can they? And so our cucumbers tasted a bit like melon, which was very odd, so... So we decided going down Waitrose is much safer. Melons and cucumbers can cross-pollinate. That sounds like, you know, in the middle of the night, one of the cucumbers crawled out the cucumber planting tray and snuck into the melons tray. (laughs) And then... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There's all sorts of trouble after that. (laughs) It all goes on in your vegetable plot, doesn't it? So what was your first job? My first proper job was as a Sainsbury's till person and stacker. And I remember I had the most unattractive dress that I had to wear, which was like a brown gingham made out of the itchiest polyester 
that anyone could find. I was literally a walking fire hazard. And then I would have a gilet over the top, which they told us was a gilet, but again, it was like just double polyester thick brown. So I walked around looking like that dead cheese plant and I sat on the tills for hours every day making small talk to lots of crying divorced women. Yeah, well, you're supposed to sit on a chair by the tills. You do it your way. No wonder you didn't last. <laughs> what was your first job? My first unpaid job was bundling up firewood that a friend of Janet's is her older brother, I think, decided he was going to make money by getting firewood for people's wood burners and goodness knows what. And he realised that old cycle inner tubes, if you cut them, made elastic bands. Mm. So Janet and I, our job was to cut the inner tubes. They had this machine where you put the elastic band over it and it was easy to push over. And then you pulled a lever and the thing went and expanded to about six inch diameter and you plopped the firewood in, released it, and you had a bundle of firewood. You said this was unpaid. Well, it was for Janet's brother. Was his name John by any chance? <laughs> Did you work for Janet and John? <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> He did pay us sort of once every few days with Maltesers. <laughs> this definitely sounds like a small child human trafficking backslash workforce type of setup. Yeah. Well, I still occasionally get a letter from him when he's in prison, looking back fondly <laughs> at the child exploitation that Janet and I were drawn into. <laughs> that was my first job unpaid. That wasn't really a job. No, it wasn't really a job, was it? That was <laughs> the first paid job. My brother was an accountant and my dad was fed up with seeing me enjoying life, lazing about on a settee, reading comics and not doing much and so I was found a job at the accountants firm so I'd go to the business near the docks in Grimsby and go through all these tedious expenses and write them down and then I was getting on so well doing that they asked me to do a stock check of a garage did a full stock check and said to them something like 90% of your stock is missing and they're like what <laughs> Did you make that statement as you were shutting the doors to your van? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was sending it to Janet's brother, Kenny. <laughs> John's cousin. They had a whole ring going. <laughs> and they said, 90%, how can this be? And what I'd done was I'd counted all the washers and things, you know, in the workshops. They had little boxes on the wall where they'd just grab a handful of washers. So if they needed a washer, they'd grab a handful in case they needed more. And of course, it was worth fractions of a penny, these things. And I was counting like, oh, there should be 50 washers in here and there's only 30. And they went, oh, not 90%, oh, forget that. And so they were laughing at this child until I said, oh, but there is a missing lorry engine which cost thousands. <laughs> what? So I've actually discovered somebody'd stolen one of the lorry engines. Never had any proof of Kenny, but you did see Janet walking away yeah. with a very heavy box with some sticks on top of it. Yes, cutting up a cycle in a tube. <laughs> <laughs> Mystery solved. They offered me a job. They said, you should be an accountant. And I said, no. Oh. <laughs> Do you take that as a compliment? I don't know. Because I always think accountants make money. They make good money. They don't make good conversationalists, but they <laughs> do make good money. <laughs> they keep the market for... Colourful shirts going, I think. They do. Jaunty. <laughs> jaunty, that's the perfect word. Anyone listening... I bet you all know a jaunty accountant. <laughs> Somebody who tries to make up for the fact that their job is considered universally dull and has a selection of either comical jumpers 
or jaunty shirts. <laughs> yes, sometimes it's too pink, so they make it very pale. Looks like it's had a mixed wash accident. Yep, <laughs> and two pinks don't make a right. There we go. <laughs> That's our first job. Mm. I was a babysitter before I did Sainsbury's. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I was a baby. I'm thinking, yeah, well, we all know that. You weren't just brought to earth by an alien. <laughs> that was a job. Um, no, I was a babysitter before that. I quite enjoyed that, and I did a bit of cleaning. Does that count? Uh, to be perfectly honest, I was a teenager. That's not a proper job when you're a teenager, is it? Because you don't really do a very good job. I'd babysit. I'd be out in the garden having a fag. <laughs> <laughs> Awful. I'd be cleaning so that I'd get everyone's hand-me-downs. I once got a black bin liner full of clothes. This woman that I was cleaning for offered me this bag of clothes. And I was really offended. I was really sort of like, how dare you? How dare you assume as a cleaner I am poor and destitute? And she'd thrown me this bag of clothes. I was like, so livid. And then I opened the top of the bag and found out it was all Chanel and Louis Vuitton. And I went, no problem at all. I'll take that for you, madam. Take it home. Me and my mum had a lovely time rifling through it. I'm sure you both did. But you do assume, because cleaners, I mean, cleaners aren't on a bad wage, I don't think. No, my cleaner good. makes a fortune. Yeah? Yeah. She blackmails me. Yeah, she's been <laughs> yeah. through your drawers. <laughs> yeah, she's like that. If you don't want me to tell anybody about your selection of Pooh Bear books, I'll have another 40 quid, please. My first proper job after university was teaching. Oh. And I did that because I was in a band, and in Grimsby at the time, there was no jobs for electronics people. Is that because so, you didn't have electricity yet? Well, there was a lot of people using the cycles that hadn't got inner tubes for some reason, <laughs> peddling them like mad. It sort of went round. It was really good industry. I don't know why Kenny went to Nick for any of this. <laughs> Teaching. Yeah, maths and physics. Oh, God. The best subjects that we know everyone loves. <laughs> That's a hard job. I've done a little bit of teaching, usually for high-end, challenging subject matter, like drama. <laughs> and it's a hard old environment. I loved it. Really? The very first day I went in there, nobody told me about the lab assistant, who I later learned everybody said, tread carefully. So I introduced myself as Mr Joyce. I got a suit on which I never wore at those times. Was it brown and did you have patches on the arms? No, I didn't have patches on the arms. It was a mid-blue suit. Anyway, the kids were all looking, looking as if to find a weakness in you. They're all ready to savage this new young teacher. The lab assistant's name was Di. There's a clue in the name. <laughs> <laughs> because later that lesson, I was thinking, Di. <laughs> it was something that needed a big trough of water in really heavy glass. Okay. Were you feeding horses? <laughs> She'd set it up on the desk. It was weird. These tables were like hexagonal, so they locked together to form a big area if you needed to, but normally they were individual. The kids sat around the individual tables and the teacher had two of these tables, which should have been locked. The wheels should always be locked and Di hadn't locked the wheels. So at my very first lesson, about 30 seconds into it, as I leant back against the desk in the middle, the two benches moved and the heavy glass dish <laughs> fell on the floor and smashed. <laughs> oh. Glass skidding all over the floor, all around these kids. As I'm saying, nobody move. You couldn't hear that over the laughter. <laughs> and this was lesson one? <laughs> yeah, this was within 30 seconds of my <laughs> teaching career, yeah. What did you do for lesson two? Kill somebody? <laughs> <laughs> well, Di did get me again when I was demonstrating that sound doesn't travel in a vacuum. She'd set up this big bell jar that you've got a vacuum pump on, and in there there's this bell. 
which you switch on and it's ringing clearly. And as you evacuate the air out of it, the sound's getting lower and lower and lower. I was talking to the class saying, listen, you can hear it going now. And then I found myself talking louder because I could hear the bell getting louder. <laughs> and it's supposed to go silent and the kids are laughing. I turn around and the bell's on fire and melting the seal, allowing fresh oxygen. Die had put a standard bell in that wasn't rated to work in a vacuum. Would you say you think you were born to teach? <laughs> I enjoyed it. They were desperate to keep me. They said, please stay. They gave me a little plaque the door. Really? Our insurance bill's gone up. Please stay. <laughs> so far, you've broken everything. You've flooded the classroom week one. Week two, you tried to set a small fire. Yeah. What did you do week three? <laughs> it was die. I mean, Kenny was keen to get a job there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Kenny, you know you should keep with firewood. <laughs> I had thought about being a vet. Oh, good God. I wouldn't be interested in being a farming type vet. We're going back to fatbergs now, aren't we? <laughs> Not interested in all that. I think it's good I didn't become a vet. So what you've just said, can I summarise for our listeners? Yes. What you've just said is you couldn't take a job that involved being elbow up in the back end of a cow. That's the one. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. I don't think vets go into the job of being a vet going, oh, I cannot wait. It's such a cold day. My arm's freezing. I can't wait to be <laughs> knee deep in a Frisian. <laughs> I really can't say that that's probably their thinking. They're hoping to make a difference. They're hoping to save lives. But yes, there is a sad element. But then you could also say that that's what a funeral director does all the time. Mm. No funeral director gets to a new job and says, don't worry, I'll make this have a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. I've got this covered. I was at school with a kid whose dad was a funeral director. I must say he was very skull-like, my friend Gregory. Skull-like? Thin. His head, you could definitely tell there was a skeleton in there. Oh. You normally don't look at somebody and think, oh, look at that skeleton loosely draped in flesh. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Greg was definitely of that type. It was a family business. He used to help his dad with embalming and things. Oh. And we were all like, oh, we don't want to know, uh, but what is it you do? Yeah. <laughs> we did want to know, but we didn't want to know. That's Ugh. a whole new idea for an after-school club, that is, isn't it? Yeah. Go around Greg's house and embalm somebody's auntie. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Come on. At least we know we'll be able to get hold of rubbing alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me, the idea of working in an abattoir would be awful. But there must be somebody who likes the idea of it. Oh, we've got an abattoir around the corner. Nobody talks about it. No? They've just put up an advert for jobs. Okay. Do you know what the byline they've put on the top of this job spec is? It says, can you cut it? Oh, no. No word of a lie. It's not a nice job, is it? But then trying to make not a nice job a comical job application. Yeah. Are you trying to be funny? Not if you're a cow going to the abattoir, it's not. I couldn't bear it. I just could not do it. I'd rather work for the this-is-not-chicken factory. <laughs> you know, this-is-not-beef factory. Yeah, this is not anything that anyone wants to eat factory. It's in the eye of the beholder. Some people will look at the job and think, can't do that. Other people will probably look at the job and think, yeah, let me in there, but not those jobs for me. I thought I'd better make use of my degree, which is in electronics. At that time, hospitals were places where I wanted to work, but didn't employ electronics people because they said, no, we just buy the box of electronics, and if it goes wrong, we send it back to whoever made it. Mm. So there was only work for the Ministry of Defence, people making things for warfare. So you're killing on mass as opposed to killing on minimums. Once I worked for a firm where there was a man enthusing about a bomb, 
I'd always sort of been between music and electronics, and I thought, oh, I can't be doing this anymore. But some people love the idea of it. You know, I've had this great idea for a new bomb. I've had this great idea for a new bomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't believe it, Graham. I was gardening this morning, and I've had this fantastic new way of killing more people than we planned on killing yesterday. Genius. <laughs> <laughs> My friend Janet. Oh, her again. Yep. She's everywhere. When I was wanting to be a vet, she decided she wanted to get a job on a farm because she likes kittens and puppies and she liked the idea of lambs and things. So she got a job on a farm. But to her horror, she discovered that you can't get up at 10 in the morning, which was her normal time. You actually had to get up at dawn. I think she lasted three weeks. That's not bad. I know people that did farm jobs and lasted like half a day. She was just holding all the furry animals and petting them, calling out to the birds. It was a bit of a Disney film, really, she was imagining. <laughs> the reality of being stuck in the middle of fields full of silage wasn't quite there. What's the worst job you've ever had? I love teaching, so it wasn't that, but I must say I did get embarrassed. I taught a secondary school age group. I discovered that 13-year-old girls would love to flirt with teachers. You'd ignore them, because in your mind you're thinking, I need to remember what I'm teaching this lesson. And you've got these half dozen little girls around saying, sir, can I have this? And you're thinking, just sit down and let me get on with the lesson. But you'd be nice. I used to meet up with a mate of mine at the local pub on the estate where the school was. One afternoon after the pub, I went to teach physics and this gaggle of girls was around me saying, please, sir, do we need to do this? Can I use a felt-tip pen to write down? Please, sir, please, sir. You're like, ah. As I'm saying, please sit down, one of the girls said, oh, sir, you've been drinking. Mm. One of them said, oh, my mum works in the Valiant, sir. And I thought, that's who the barmaid looked like. It's this girl. She's the spitting image. I told a teacher about this and he said, well, you never go for a drink on the estate. Oh. You go to a pub a mile or two away. Was the final question in that conversation. Please, sir, are you my daddy? <laughs> <laughs> when I first joined the school, they said over the playing fields behind the bike sheds, the builders did a nice landscaping job. In other words, they got rid of a load of rubble and covered it in soil, and now it's grown rough grass. Yeah. They said, never go behind that hill, because if you do, you'll discover things that you'll have to act on, and you won't want to have to act on it. So, <laughs> never go behind that hill. It was like a no-man's land. I'm like, well, that's disgraceful, but I never had the courage to go behind it, because... If you even looked at it, other teachers would go, no, 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 <laughs> don't even think. Do you know what was behind that hill? <laughs> I'm not allowed to think. What? It was Janet briefing her new team of twig and elastic band captives. <laughs> That's what's going on around there. <laughs> Probably. One day I was teaching dissection. Oh. And one of the kids, his dad was the butcher, and he brought in a load of rabbits. Some of the lads especially were dead keen to cut a rabbit to bits. And at lunchtime... I was in the staff room and Mrs Jones, the sewing teacher, went, Who is it? Which idiot? She said, They're out there now. They're like red Indians with the pelts around their waist. They were hanging all bits of this rabbit off their belts. So I moved out of the staff room and thought I might go to the estate pub after all. <laughs> I'm surprised you weren't using a rabbit substitute. I can't believe it's not rabbit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As an alternative. I had a job once. Yeah? Uh, in my, oh. you know, which is <laughs> in my illustrious career. 
I was a restaurant waitress in a conference centre. Ooh. I know. Glamorous. Glamorous. Is that where this dress comes from? This floral dress and hat? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just had this lying around from my last floral <laughs> dancing session. And I had to wear a uniform and a waistcoat. And I had to serve lots of 50-year-old, very pale white men that were there on expensive conferences who all spent quality time trying to touch me Ooh. and shut me up which was a bit unpleasant, especially at seven o'clock in the morning when I'm giving them grapefruit halves and a glass of orange juice. Ugh. So I hated that job. The first day I was there, I got in the car, my mum picked me up and I burst into tears and I said, I hate it. The restaurant manager was French and he was incredibly arrogant and just spent the entire time shouting at me, said I hadn't done things properly, hadn't cleaned things properly, I was useless, I was stupid, I was... Blah, blah, blah. So I got in the car, burst into tears. My mum said, you don't have to go back tomorrow. If it's not very nice, you don't have to go again. I got up, went back to work. I was restaurant manager there within six months. Wow. Because they sacked him because he kept sleeping with the waitresses. <laughs> <laughs> Where did he sleep with the waitresses? Did you have a little hill at the back of the restaurant? <laughs> oh, no. Anyone who's worked in the catering trade knows that what goes on in the walk-in fridge stays in the walk-in fridge. Oh, gosh. You've reminded me. I used to do seasonal jobs at freezing factories in Grimsby. They employed students when it was the pea season, and there you had a thing called a flow freezer, where the peas went in at one end all fresh and came out the other end absolutely solid. Within <laughs> minutes of leaving the field, they'd be solid frozen. Sometimes they said, don't go in the flow freezer, Ronnie's in there. And you think, surely not, no. Because it was like <laughs> minus 30. I mean, you'd have to be quick. <laughs> That's probably his nickname, Quick Ronnie. <laughs> running as you talk to his previous victims and they're like no he left me cold yeah <laughs> anybody seen marge <laughs> oh my she's, god she's she stayed in there too long yeah. <laughs> i thought flow freezers are spelled f-l-o-w for flow perhaps it was f-l-o short for florence who went missing in 1930 or something so far, what we've managed to find is a finger in some petit pois. Oh. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> why do people always have illicit affairs? I mean, it was always the kitchen staff. They were always set apart. So when I've worked in lots of different places, it was either the call centre staff, they were having a lot of fun, people in the freezers, people in the walk-in fridges. If you had a staff room and it was after hours, that usually saw a lot of action. So all these illicit affairs going on in all these different parts and these different industries, why? I wouldn't want to have a sexual relationship at work, especially if I weren't in an abattoir. <laughs> <laughs> I think perhaps it's stress relief because these jobs must be highly stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Working with you, I should imagine Di was at it behind that mound left, right and centre. <laughs> yeah. You're right, Di. Yeah, I'm having 20 fags and a quickie with Ronnie from the frozen <laughs> food market. I've just had a teaching session with that Graham Jarvis, you know, the one in the blue suit who keeps dropping everything. <laughs> <laughs> Modern-aged middle life was brought to you by Graham Jarvis and Emily Baum. If you liked it, tell a friend or rate and review the podcast. That will help others find us. Thanks.